Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Many financial institutions are stuck with digital transformations that are not moving the needle. In the new book, Rewired, The McKinsey Guide to Outcompeting in the Age of Digital and AI, the authors found that long-term success comes when leaders embrace change around their talent, operating model, technology, and data capabilities. So what can the banking industry learn from this detailed how-to book? How can financial institutions of all sizes create great customer experiences, lower costs, and build value through digital transformation? We are very fortunate to have Eric Lamar, senior partner for McKinsey & Company, and one of the authors of the book, Rewired, on the show today. He shares some of the key findings in the book and what banks must do to become more future ready. When it comes to digital transformation, there are no quick fixes and the process is never really completely finished. But there are successes in the marketplace that financial institutions of all sizes can benefit from. In fact, there is even a playbook for improving the impact of digital transformation. So, Eric, welcome to the show. Could you introduce yourself, give our audience a little background as to what your background is, and also a little bit about the reason for authoring the book Rewired? Awesome. Jim, thank you for having me. Uh, So I've been with the firm for 29 years. I'm a Canadian by background. I'm based in Boston, and I lead uh, McKinsey Digital in North America, which is essentially the umbrella unit for everything technology inside uh, McKinsey. Uh, and I've had the great uh, pleasure of serving a number of financial institutions, including banks, over the last uh, you know, 20 years of my career. And uh, as part of that work, of course, uh, you know, digital and AI is, uh, is front and center. So, so what makes this book, even though I know because I've opened it and figured it out, what makes this book different than others on this topic? And there's so many of them. There are many of them. And that is a question that we asked ourselves before even starting to write this book. What is going to be different about this one? And the difference, uh, Jim, is uh, this is a how-to book. So it's 400 pages, it's 100 exhibits, it's, uh, it's a detail in the how you actually get an organization to become better at taking advantage of digital and AI, to serve customer better, to lower unit costs, whatever you wanna do with technology. And so what's different is the how-to nature uh, of the book. And perhaps if there was a, a second element, because we, we have read all of the other 50 books uh, on digital transformations, of course, <laughs> you would expect that of, of, uh, at the beginning of our journey in writing this. Uh, it is also holistic in the sense that it takes into consideration what we felt were all of the important planks to be successful at this. So it is not just about strategy. It is not just about technology. It is about all of the success ingredients to make this, uh, you know, a, a good journey inside inside any organization. And, and it's interesting because I mentioned this before we went on the air is that even the structure of the book, the order of the sections really resonated because for me, 
it was kind of in the order of importance for building the foundation. It's almost like a, a lesson plan on building a house. You you can't start with the roof. You got to start with the foundation. And and your book actually does that with where it builds upon each section and really starts at the beginning. You know, there's a great quote in your book that's, that I think will resonate with many in the banking industry. And it's actually a quote to a degree that's been mentioned many times in McKinsey writings. And it's, a CEO once said, uh, we can find digital everywhere in our company except on the bottom line. Why is this quote so true? And what is the barrier to actually achieving what organizations want to achieve with digital transformation and actually having the process be successful? Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that that quote is, uh, is, is true and resonates with so many, but it also resonates with a lot of the uh, surveys that we do year in, year out on the topic of uh, digital transformation and AI. And we ask companies, uh, well, do you have one of those on the way? And 90% of them tell us they do. Uh, that's not surprising, perhaps. And then we ask them, how successful have you been at realizing either the revenue benefits that you were hoping for or the productivity benefits that you were hoping for? And they tell us that they have achieved 30% of what they were hoping to get. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a, there's a gap there uh, between, um, you know, expectations and, uh, and, and reality. Uh, and so to some extent, the challenges uh, by now are, are, getting, are getting well understood, at least from our standpoint. There's, there's, there's a few. There's this notion of, uh, are we actually focusing our efforts enough to transform any given area of our bank, any given banking journey uh, with sufficient effort and concentration? The mistake being often, Jim, that the efforts get spread in, in the name of everybody ought to, ought to try digital and AI, the investments get fragmented and the reverse is what's needed you need to actually concentrate you need to say what journey am i going to transform here is it is it home equity loan and that entire journey for a customer well if that is then concentrate on that or a few but not on the dozens and dozens of areas at once otherwise you never break through and so that is the initial where are we going to focus is important and the other one is capability for delivery uh, because you're, you're never actually done. We call it a transformation, but I, I almost don't like that word because it implies a beginning right. and an end. There is no end. Yep. Uh, you know, you start to improve and you continue and you continue. And guess what? Competition is also improving. And so now you got to stay ahead of competition. And so what are the core capabilities that you will invest in as a bank to not only start the journey and do the first few miles, but to actually win a marathon. And that requires a dedication to a set of capabilities that are outlined uh, in the book that are, that, you know, often we, perhaps there's a hope that uh, all of this may not be needed. Maybe we just, you know, we can do a quick win and be done, uh, but that's not the case. And so for those two reasons, core capabilities and a, and a focus uh, initially, those tend to be the biggest, uh, you know, fault lines when people, when people go on this journey. 
you know, the saying is that uh, don't boil an ocean. And I think because digital transformation is such a broad process, a broad subject, and as you said, organizations think they want to transform their whole organization, but that's not, as you bring up in the book, not usually the best recipe for success that you need focus, you need a, a composable solution that you say, we need to fix this first. But when you're looking at digital banking transformation, I know it differs from institution to institution. Where do firms need to start? And maybe it's simply understanding their why. So they always have to fall back on strategically where are they going, where are they trying to go? And so digital and AI is not a strategy. Uh, digital and AI enable a strategy, augment a strategy, make a strategy better. But that initial strategic direction is actually quite important. So I would start with where are we trying to go as a bank? Where are we going to be delighting our customers? Where are we going to outperform in terms of service or product performance? Uh, you know, where do we think we're going to be able to uh, retain customer uh, over time uh, because we we offer them a great experience? And so, you know, what is the strategic intent uh, and where the differentiation will come in? And then after that, bring in digital and AI in the areas where technology will make the biggest difference to your strategy. So let me give you an example. Let's assume that um, we think we can actually be fantastic at home equity loans. And that is a strategy. We want to expand in home equity loans. Well, it happens that technology can actually make quite a bit of a difference in home equity loans. The way that I pre-underwrite uh, can be infused with data and analytics, so I can have pre-underwriting that's done. The way that I streamline the process so that customers actually go through the journey and do take their home equity loans with me. The way that I do cash fulfillment, which on average in the United States takes 55 days before you get to your cash, which I would argue is way too long for somebody who's considering a home equity loan. How do oh, I exactly. reduce yep. that? And so all of these aspects can have technology solutions that dramatically improve the customer experience and will therefore increase the amount of revenues that you make on the back of that product. So strategy is home equity loan. Here's where technology is going to make a difference. And there you have your focus. Well, it's interesting. It's not just about technology either. I, you bring up in the book, actually throughout the book, the importance of leadership, the importance of other components, because, you know, while technology is very important to, as you mentioned, enable, it's not the only component of digital transformation process. Besides technology, what gets in the way? Is it sometimes leadership not really committing to the process or is there more to it than that? Yeah, no, so this is a great, great question and pretty fundamental to the book. The imagery I like to bring to this, Jim, is, is, is to put it this way. Every bank can get five agile teams to work and develop a piece of AI or technology to do something. And so an agile team, as you know, five to 10 people, cross-functional, that have a mission to develop a technology-oriented uh, product or solution. Everybody can get five working. 
Uh, I can hire my way into this. I can mobilize them in a special project. I can cocoon them. I can give them special funding. I can ask my risk management function to to shepherd them so that, you know, everything is okay. Everybody can get five to work. But five doesn't get you anywhere for for a bank, even a mid-size or a large bank. You need 500. And that is the problem. How do I get 500 of these teams to actually run, to get the right talent, to have access to the functionalities that I already have on my technology stack, to have access to data, to have access to the tools that they need to do their job day in, day out, to be able to release code that they have developed into a production environment without having to call IT because now I have 500 people calling IT. I have 500 people calling the data guy. So the concept of reward is how do I move from five teams that used to run on a special project basis, if you wish, to now 500 that are infusing every aspect of of my organization. They're going into marketing, they're going into product development, they're going into risk management, they're going into fulfillment, they're going into branches, they're going into sales. All of those teams are enabling some technology aspects and the scaling of that is what's difficult because they all need talent, they all need tools, they all need data. And so reward is that capacity to get 500 teams to innovate. This is what we call the the distributed innovation model. Yeah, it's interesting. The the second section of your book actually talks a little bit about this and talks about talent. Um, Talent is a really difficult process right now because especially when you're a small organization, you probably can't find or afford the talent, but you can't do it without the talent. Another challenge that we've seen in our research is that employees intrinsically are frightened by the digital transformation process because they view it as a risk to their jobs. How do organizations bring their teams, their talent, their current employees on board to believe that they can be part of the digital transformation as opposed to being left behind? There is new talent that needs to be brought for a digital transformation. You need data engineers, you need software engineers, you need cloud engineers, you need data scientists. Uh, And that talent may or may not be inside your four walls, and it may or may not be insufficient quantity for the journey that you want to undertake. And so there may be some recruiting that needs to happen on the outside. There may be some upskilling that needs to happen from the inside for people that already have a a decent foundation in the craft, and you're just trying to upskill. And so there's an aspect of the talent equation that says, where am I trying to go? What talent do I need? And for that talent that I need, how much can I upskill internally and how much can I actually, how much must I get from the, uh, from the outside? And so that's, the, that's closing the expertise equation, if I, if, I, if I may. The other part is how do I actually bring my employees along so that they feel they are part of the journey? And so there are many ways that that gets done. So first of all, the people who actually lead the technology effort come from the business. They actually don't come from IT. It is the business leaders who decide what will get transformed, and it is also them 
in their different areas, the head of marketing, the head of uh, uh, branches, the head of contact centers. Uh, it is them that say, that's how we need to transform our business. And it is them that also provide what we call the product owners, those leaders of small teams that guide the development efforts because they know the need. They know the problem to be solved. They may not know how to write code, but they certainly know the problem to be solved. And they can tell you when the problem is getting solved, whether it's being solved effectively or not. And so there's a there's a set of the leadership of the business that is really getting brought on board here to, 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 to show the way, to lead the way. And for employees, they become part of these teams as well. They're subject matter experts. Uh, they may know a lot about a contact center operations. They come on the team. They provide that expertise on the team. It's not only technologists on the team. It's people who lead the business. It's people who lead operations. And it's subject matter experts. And then there's the risk folks in a bank. That's important. The folks that are part of the control function, they also get baked into this model so that they can exert their role effectively with each one of these small, agile, cross-functional teams that are developing technology. And so everybody gets brought into the dance to do this. Now, you will say, aren't people scared that they're going to lose their jobs? The pace at which this happens is never overnight. And so people actually get reskilled. They get to do other functions. The bank gets to grow. There is, in my experience, very few digital transformations that end up with a disappointed employee base. To the contrary, it becomes a liberating moment because distributed innovation means just that. Innovation can happen everywhere in the company and everybody can now have the tools, the data to innovate. And that feels liberating. I'll tell you a story. Some years ago, a bank was starting to do this. And there was this employee who, after three months, she was going on retirement. And so she went, she took her retirement, and then she left the, she left the small uh, agile team. She came back the next day. Uh, she actually loved the work so much that even in her post-retirement, she was basically still showing up at work because she wanted to see the work through. It is, it is fun work to be able to innovate and improve a process and feel like you have the tool and the empowerment to do so. So in general, in the large majority of cases, it is freeing up positive energy in the organization. And over time, there will be productivity gains, but it's not like we do a massive layoff tomorrow and 20% of the people are gonna go because frankly, right. the technology wouldn't even be in place to be able to exert something like this. It'll be exerted over many, many uh, years. And so the benefits of productivity can be there, but the the, the, the amazing positive energy from, from developing technology that solves problem is, uh, is, is fantastic. And it's interesting because while past experiences can sometimes be an anchor if somebody doesn't want to change. Those experiences also give you a, a, a jumping off point for digital. You, you can't do it in a vacuum. So, you know, one interesting thing is that organizations are, as a rebuilding for digital change, they have to rethink both speed and scale. I'm wondering, is the need for speed and scale an operating model or technology question? So tell me a bit more about what you have in mind on scale. I kind of know where you're going with speed, but tell me a bit more about scale. 
the ability to 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 get implementations of technology that allows you to possibly get into the banking as a service or embedded banking that could actually make it so that you're built for the future in the growth of the business. Yes. Okay. Very good. So I think maybe this uh, gives me an opportunity to tell you a little bit about what we have found in our research with uh, retail banks. So we benchmarked 80 retail banks globally, and we benchmark them every year for the past five years. And we know about these banks because they offer the information. They want to be benchmarked. We know how many people use their banking app. We know how much of their sales are online. We know how many people they have in their contact center. We know how many branches they have. We know how many people are in their branches. They give us all of that. And we, of course, know about their financial performance because that's that's public information. And we combine this data set. We take these 80 banks. We take the top 20 digital leaders and the top, the bottom 20 digital laggers. And we follow them over time, year after year. What we are seeing is that the digital leaders are clearly pulling away from financial performance on every single dimension that you can imagine. Total return to shareholders, growth, customer growth, cost containment, they are pulling away. Why? Because they have actually been able to embed technology in their different areas of the bank. It's not just a sidecar that's developing a front-end app for the customers. It's actually embedded in how they do credit decisioning, how they do digital marketing, how they do back office fulfillment, how they do sales. It's embedded in all aspects of, of the technology. And now just to answer your point more directly on speed and scale, the faster you move, the more innovation and the more, the better the customer experience, the lower the unit cost, and then you can really start to distance yourself versus others that are coming from the, from the back. And where you, what we're finding in the research is if you've been a leader, you're not, gonna la- you're not gonna fall back to a laggard in any given time. And if you're a laggard, it's gonna take a long time to become a leader. There's persistency to this. And the persistency is established because they've taken some speed. They get they gotten ahead of the pack and they're doing it more broadly in their organization. So speed and scale of diffusion across the company, across the bank, is actually creating a persistent advantage. So we're going to get back into the banking industry and actually specific example that you have in your book. Um, but let's take a short break and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back to Banking Transform. So today I'm joined by Eric Lamar, senior partner at McKinsey & Company. We've been discussing his new book, Rewired, the McKinsey Guide to Outcompeting in the Age of Digital and AI. So Eric, you know, beyond writing a textbook for digital transformation, you and your co-authors shared a number of case studies in the book. One of the case studies that obviously caught my attention was how DBS emulated 
top tech companies to improve customer experience and make banking effortless. Can you elaborate a little bit on the DBS digital transformation journey and what made them worthy of being a case study in your book? Absolutely. It's a fantastic uh, case and it's a fantastic read uh, because you know, it's not something that started last year that gets written about. I mean, it's a decade-long journey uh, for DBS. And DBS, to their own admission, was not predestined to be, a, you know, a, a great bank you would write about. They would say we were an average bank with all the problems that an average bank would have. Uh, but they had a CEO with a big ambition. Uh and I remember vividly when they tell the story, when they embark on the journey, they went and they visited all the tech companies. And they got back and they said, uh, you know, we learned from Google and we learned from Apple's and we learned from LinkedIn and we learned from Netflix. And we said, we're going to be like the, the tech majors but in banking, and they had this acronym called Gandalf. And all of the letters in Gandalf are, are one of the big tech companies, except for D. D was going to be DBS. Uh, and DBS was going to be operating just like a tech company. And so they took the time to formulate a vision for how they were going to run the bank in the future. And then they said, okay, let's go and attack some of the key journeys that are pain point and start to exert our muscle. And then they went after the talent and started to hire the talent. And then they went after the technology stack and they moved to the cloud and they moved to uh, a, you know automated release with CI/CD pipeline to be a little technical. They changed their operating model. They created 30 of these product and platform structure that really embed all of these paths for innovation. They did big surgery on themselves, is what I mean. Uh, and it didn't happen overnight, uh, but it started to pay off. They were fantastic. I remember vividly in their, I think it was 2017 or 18, uh, investor um, uh, presentation, and that's probably still online. And they were showing the economics of a traditional customer and the economics of a digital customer. And they showed, obviously, that the economics of the digital customer was that much more favorable. And the name of the game was to basically try to get as many of the traditional customers to become digital customer. Cost of service lower, retention was higher, product per customers was higher, revenue per customer was higher. That made for a fantastic economics of the digital, uh, of the digital channel. Clarity of how value was going to get created clarity of the journeys that they needed to improve to actually get the customer to shift to a digital channel, the muscle being built. And then they went after this and they became, uh, you know, uh, they became the best digital bank on the planet. They had fantastic return, fantastic growth. Uh, five years in a row, uh, they became a best digital bank. Uh, and so that that is a you know, fantastic story, but one that is not, I mean, the messages for me is it's not overnight. Yeah, it's interesting about their story, too, is they really continue to stay focused on the consumer. But how did the DBS leadership build the foundation for keeping that focus? Because really, that allowed them to expand to new markets and all because they actually are generating such great results. But how did the leadership of DBS actually 
build the the mentality and the foundation to keep focused on the consumer? Early on, they had this uh, vision of making banking joyful. Sounds simple enough, but frankly, for all of us that are pretty aspirational, yeah, you know, banking users, <laughs> yeah. you know, how, how do we how do we make this? You know, how do we make banking joyful? And right from the top. They said, we're going to reinvent our different customer journeys with that lens. And we're going to keep a high bar for what that's going to be when the experience is going to be joyful. We're going to track that promoter score uh, at each part of the journey. We're going to see when we actually do it better than competition. And we're going to measure that as well. A lot of this is about a culture of measurement measurement of performance and it's never big steps it's always small incremental steps that get made day in day out over a month it doesn't make a difference over a year it starts over five years a game changer uh, and so it's all these small improvements a vision small improvement measurement and a machinery in terms of talent in terms of technology stack in terms of data architecture that allows distributed innovation across across the bank. And then they did a lot of change management, uh, a, lot, a lot of hackathons, a lot of base load training for their entire employee base, uh, not just the ones that were more directly impacted by the transformation, but all 30,000 uh, employees went, went through that. And so, and, and they sustained it. Sometimes companies don't sustain. They start something and after a year or two, they, they let it go. It, it wasn't rosy all the time. And so they sustained it and um, gave the result that, uh, you know, that are written about in the book, but in many other places, obviously, it's a, it's a well-known uh, celebrated case. Well, it's interesting, too, because it, not just at DBS, but your whole book reemphasized the fact that, that the transformation process is really not a resting place. And DBS is a great example that being a leader in the digital banking evolution was not thought to be a resting place. In fact, you talked about the hackathons and all the things they did. DBS actually sees themselves ongoingly as a startup. How has DBS made sure they're continuing to unlock the sources of value and the innovation spirit to deliver on their promise? Yes. I think a lot of this is baked into the, the operating model of the bank. At some point when this digital and AI magic is going to start to have impact, you're going to need to change how you operate the bank. And so it's called in the language of the book, we call it a product and platform operating model. So product or journeys, I think it'd be more appropriate in the banking world to call it journeys and platform. Journeys are exactly what they are. So you know, the way that you onboard a customer, that's a journey. The way that you secure a home equity loan, that's a journey. The way that you get a credit card, that's a journey. The way that you get servicing in the contact center, that's a journey. Journeys have squads, pods, whose job is to improve that journey day in, day out. They may have five, they may have 15, they may have 50, but that journey has capabilities and resources to innovate day in and day out like a startup would. Like a startup would. A startup would have 10 pods, 20 pods, 30 pods. A journey a, a journey owner, somebody who owns onboarding or somebody who owns servicing 
has pods that he or she can use to innovate and improve like a CEO of a startup could. And so to some extent, the journey areas are mini companies, mini startups, I'm sorry, that are innovating the customer experience, reducing unit costs. And the platforms, to complete the picture, the platform avoid reinventing the wheel. For example, a customer 360 data set where I have information about the customer, you could imagine every journey is going to need a piece of that. I don't need to do it in every journey. I'm going to do it once in a platform and then the journeys can basically all consume that capability. And so the platforms help build the stuff that will get consumed frequently by the journeys. And it's the combination of the journey model, which is a federation of startups, if you wish, and the platform, which allow the scale of the bank to come together, uh, which is harder to do for a startup, uh, and where the competitive advantage starts to come in from scale, that's the magic of, of the model. You know, it's interesting because we talk about WeBank on this podcast quite a bit. We've talked about location. We've talked about other organizations whose leaders have really set the foundation that say, we are going to truly become a tech fin as opposed to a fintech. Yes. We're going to really drive by technology. But the it's really about, it really, we, we take it for granted, but it's so much about the culture and the leadership that makes it, this is the way we do business. Now, as you mentioned, that transformation to get to that spot takes a long time. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of dedication. It takes some money or collaborations to be able to do it at scale and in a way that really completely changes the business model. But as you said in your analysis of financial institutions, falling back and not doing well takes time. Going forward also takes time. But when you have the focus of the culture, the innovation spirit, the ability to make change incrementally on a continuous basis, it really does keep the organization fresh. And I think that's that's what I see as being something unique about DBS is that they've never really lost the focus on what they wanted to achieve. They never rested on their laurels. It's something that I see what I believe in, in IBM and Microsoft, the ability to continually evolve in an agile way that says, we're gonna, we're gonna change with the marketplace. As we talk about change in the marketplace, obviously the digital transformation journey changes based on outside influences that impact entire industries, maybe the entire world. Obviously there's technology that's been introduced in the last eight months in the form of generative AI that really could have a significant impact on the future of digital banking and customer experiences. How do you see that fitting in to the entire environment of digital transformation? Yeah, fantastic. Well, so Gen AI, oh my God, uh, you know. Where do we start? <laughs> no, well, where do we start? And also, you know, uh, I like to joke that uh, if you're in professional services like me and, and you don't talk about Gen AI, you're, you're out of business. Uh, and, and so actually in the first sentence, you have to, in the presentation, you got to bring that up sooner, exactly. sooner than later. Exactly. Yeah. You, 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 you got to, um, so we came in last week, uh, with a, a really great report by the McKinsey Global Institute on the, uh, the economic potential of Gen AI. And we revisited some old work of ours from five years ago, where we had done the economic potential of AI. 
And this was detailed work, uh, Jim, where, you know, we took like hundreds of use cases and figured out by industry what was going to be the economic potential of, uh, of each of these use cases. Uh, and now we revisited it and said, how does that potential change with Gen AI? And the conclusion goes something like this. I'm not going to get the number exactly precise, but it goes something like this. If the potential was 100 before, five years ago, the potential of AI was 100. Today, it would be 20 to 30% higher with Gen AI. You're going to say, ah, maybe I was expecting more. Maybe I was expecting less. I think there are two things in what I just gave you with 20 to 30%. And that is true in banking as well, by the way. Uh, when you just do the banking segmentation. You say, well, I got to make sure I don't lose sight of the full potential of AI in the first place. Uh, and, and there's a tendency here to say, oh, look at the shiny object is Gen AI now, and I lose sight of the 100, and I'm starting to yep. change the 20 to 30. And for a bank, there is a lot in the 100 uh, how you do credit decisioning, that's going to be driven by analytical AI, what I call old AI or traditional AI, whatever label you want to put on it. Yep. Uh, you know, a lot of the personalization that I do when somebody shows up on my website and I decide to present that product versus that product for a bank, a lot of that is traditional AI uh, driven as well. But there will be other possibilities. How do I do a marketing campaign? How do I test marketing campaigns? How do I develop marketing campaigns online? Now, Gen AI opens up a whole new game because I can do 10 times more testing and creation of marketing campaigns because that's what Gen AI is good at. It's good at creating, creating images, creating content. Uh, and, and so I and, think- be- And learning from, learning from interactions, which is really what is interesting where you look and say, when you can apply that and say, each interaction- can build on its own a special, a specific journey that's very personalized, which is the exciting component of this that we've never been able to really do it at the scale that we're talking about here. I agree. So I would say let's not lose sight of the hundred. Let's figure out that twenty to thirty percent. Where exactly is it going to make a difference? Is it going to be in my contact yep. center? Is it going to be in my marketing area? And the third thing I would say about Gen AI is not. All Gen AIs are the same. And so I'm going to just frame it into three buckets. Bucket number one is Gen AI that the label we've put on it in McKinsey is called takers, which is what you and I and everybody else are going to use in our day-to-day job. So we're going to use ChatGPT. If we're software developers, we're going to use GitHub Copilot or some other Copilot technology. We're not going to develop it. We're going to be users of it. Everybody will be users of it. That's great. Everybody gets productivity lift, but it's not competitively differentiating because everybody's got it. The middle bucket is what I would call shapers. So shapers is I'm now going to develop a Gen AI specific application that will differentiate my performance. Example, contact center. When you and I call the contact center to get help for banking, how do I get contact center to get a better answer, a more precise answer, a more uh, 
empathetic answer uh, to the customer that's coming with the question. Contact centers will be dramatically improved, but that will require embedding of your data inside the Gen AI application. And so now you have more data engineering work to do. You have more fine tuning of large language model to do, to be able to actually deliver on a shaper application. That's more work. That feels frankly a bit more like old AI, quite a bit of work to actually yep. get an outcome. The outcome will be differentiating. And the last category, just to be complete, we call it maker, which is you have a belief that if you actually make a brand new large language model, you can have a breakthrough in fields that we weren't able to have breakthroughs before. R&D, engineering uh, would be some of those. I'm not sure that very many companies will be ready to go there. The investment will be too big, but some will venture in that space. But I think for a bank, adopt quickly what can be adopted as a taker and focus where you're going to make a difference in the shaper uh, middle category where it's worth actually investing some of your resources to create a competitive differentiation. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you may have already given that answer in that last sentence, but what advice would you give financial institutions? What one piece of advice would you give financial institutions that right now feel like they're stalled or not meeting expectations on their digital transformation journey? Where should they look? maybe do that that mirror look and look at themselves. What do they have to look at to, to, to move the needle? Jim, I would do exactly what you've just mentioned. I would, if, if I were the, the CEO or a member of a C-suite of one of those organizations that's feeling a little, a little bit too much in a laggard category, I would get the top team around the table and I would say, Let's just call time out for a couple of months and let's go check where we really are. In banking, it's relatively easy to benchmark your positioning. Where are we from a customer experience? Where are we from a unit cost standpoint? Where are we from an innovation standpoint? And look at that and then decide, is this journey going well or is this journey really not? And then what interventions are we going to need to have? And it's likely that the interventions are going to be around where, where should we focus our efforts? And did we actually commit to build the capabilities that will differentiate us going forward? And there's probably going to be some shortcomings around those, uh, around those areas for sure. But it's time to take stock because this is a, a multi-period chess game. And if you wait for too many periods to play out, you will lose. And I would You're fall farther behind. Yep. Yes. And I would go out to say the game is starting to be played out in retail banking. If you're feeling behind, it is really, really time to make that the number one priority and invest there. The game is starting to be played out. You know, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show today. I, I don't get any rebates or any fees from this, but I'm going to tell everyone, you know, if you're looking for a textbook on how to build a better transformation journey, if you're looking for a learning manual as to what do you have to do today, please pick up the book Rewired. I'm extraordinarily excited about when I started reading it, it was very interesting how rather than being theoretical or traditionally just based on what it does and what it means, this is a tactical book. This, this gives you lesson plans on how to improve. You can pick anywhere in the book to start. You can say, you know what? Our real problem 
is in the technology sector. We go to that section first. Our problem is in the talent sector. Go to that first. But make sure you take it. I was telling Eric before we started that this is one of those books that I used to put in the back of my shelf and say, I want to have it at my fingertips all the time to reference when I get when I'm stumbling. It's a great book. It's worth the read. It's worth the purchase. It just, I believe it just went live on uh, Amazon, so it's available everywhere. But Eric, again, thank you so much to you and your co-authors in developing this book and for being on the show today. Jim, thank you for having me. Uh, and thank you for the nice words you just said. If if the book can be helpful to uh, to management teams that are on this journey, then it will have, it will have accomplished what Rodney Kate and I were hoping to. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. We appreciate the support we received since we started this endeavor almost three years ago. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to give a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hasselich, audio engineer, Chris Fafalius, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Maroos. Remember, to compete with startups, legacy financial organizations must have a startup mentality. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.